Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. Ignoring problems, as we all know, does not make them go away. That is painfully true when it comes to money matters, where making bad choices can be very costly. Shannon Lee Simmons is a certified financial planner. She founded the New School of Finance and writes books that tackle the everyday challenges people face managing their money. Her new book is called No Regret Decisions, Making Good Choices During Difficult Times, and she joins us now on that timely topic. Great to have you here again. How so glad to be here. Okay, a no regret decision is what? Uh, a decision that you can look back on no matter how high the stakes were and say, even if things didn't work out, that's the key. Because if things work out, whatever. But mm-hmm. if they didn't work out the way you wanted them to, you could still look back at the decision and say, huh, that was a good decision with a bad outcome and I wouldn't have done anything differently no matter what. How can it be a good decision if it's got a bad outcome? Well, sometimes luck plays a huge amount into it, right? So think about on the, like somebody who maybe took out a mortgage uh, at the height of the pandemic and it was a variable mortgage and the mortgage broker told them to do that and the parents told them to do that and the realtor told them to do that and they said, okay, well, this is 1.75%. That makes perfect sense to me. And now looking back, their mortgage payment has gone up by $1,400 a month Hmm. and they're scrambling. Did they make a bad decision in 2020? Yes. No. They didn't? I don't think so. I mean, hmm. how can you, if you're if you're not a financial expert, and every financial expert that you spoke to, the good information that you trusted, said to do this, and for a long time you were and looking historically, you, you know, variable rates were pretty good during the last decade, it would make sense to that person that, okay, I, this, isn't a, this isn't a bad decision. This is a decision that I, I dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's, and now I've I'm gotten gonna, unlucky. I'm going to challenge you on that. Great. You can say it's a no-regret decision. That's yes, right. my mortgage is a lot higher today than it was because of variable rate, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a no-regret decision, but it might have been a bad decision. Can you not say that? I think that... I like that nuance. That Yes, I, you can say that because what I'm really saying here with no regrets is that I'm not sitting up at three in the morning with guilt about my decisions. And the no regret decision is important in our lives because there's a difference between someone looking back and being like, ha, huh, that was a bad decision, don't like the outcome, versus I'm bad with money. I can't be tr- I can't trust myself to make good financial choices going forward. I'm a person who sucks at money. Like that's the kind of regret that seeps into our confidence and really impacts how we look forward in our life. And if you don't trust yourself to make good decisions when the stakes are high, then you're going to live a life of anxiety where you're worried that bad things are going to happen to you and that you're not equipped to make the choices to to navigate those. And that's the difference. So someone looking back and saying, "Huh, wish I did that differently," mm. but I- it was the best I did at the time versus someone who looks back and says, that's my fault. That's the difference. Can I get personal here? What's your best no-regret decision? Well, I mean, having my kids, obviously. I mean, is that the decision? I was thinking financially. Financially yeah. speaking, oh, that's a great question. I think um, when I was young, when I moved to the city, I rented in a place that I hated um, for very cheap, <laughs> and I saved up as much as I could, but it's a different rental market now, so I'm not saying that that is the same at mm-hmm. all. Um, this but it was, worked that way when you were there. It was that way when I was there, and I tried not to 
um, rent too expensive, even though I, I didn't like where I was living at the mm-hmm. time. And we saved up enough um, for a small down payment. And I bought something when I was like younger. We didn't have financial help from my folks and it was just ours, but we did that because we lived very much in a place that I that I didn't love with couches I hated and furniture I hated, but like it was okay. I was, I was young. But it turned into a good decision. That's right. Because it let you save money and you ended up in a better place ultimately. It did, but okay. I do think young people today face different... For sure. For, face For different sure. Uh, economic realities. Well, these are the three phases of no regret decisions, which are early on in Shannon Lee Simmons' book. Number one is panic mode. Number two is the messy middle. And number three is your next normal. Okay, we're going to walk through these. The panic mode is what? Right. So a decision crisis, which is basically walking you through these kinds of decisions, are ones that have high financial stakes, high emotional stakes, with a ton of uncertainty. So often, right away when they happen, you feel panicked. So take the pandemic, for example. Like, your life looks different. The kind of decisions we're talking about in this book are are not like whether you order a pizza tonight. It's like, do I leave my partner? I just got diagnosed with a critical illness. Um, Do I do IVF? Like, these kinds of major life decisions, buying a house, going back to school, quitting your job. So your life looks different when you make those kinds of decisions. So panic, fear, anxiety, these are all part of it. Overwhelm, these are all part of it. So the first part of the playbook, so to speak, is to make sure that you're not just making a reactionary, panic-based decision. So a classic example, I talk about this about myself even um, during the pandemic. Um, I live in Toronto. I have a postage stamp backyard, if you could even call it that. And, and you're still married. I'm still married. Yep. Despite everything you said in this book about how crazy your life was during you know, the pandemic. You know, he's a good man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and I grew up in the suburbs with a backyard. And so uh, that's always been like a thing for me. And uh, But it doesn't matter because we live in the city. And then all of a sudden the parks are closed. And I have two little kids who can't go, who don't have anywhere to play. And can't I go to school. Can't go to school, can't go to the park, can't go down the street. Like I started panicking that this was life forever. That's not true. We know that. But at the time I was panicking. And so I'm like, well, we need to move. I got a real estate agent. I started saying, how's this? It was bananas. I look back and I'm like, Shannon, you're like, what the heck? But I was so scared with how diff- how high the stakes felt at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the, make the best decision, but that wouldn't have been a good decision for me. Some of my clients had the same exact thought. They moved and they look back and they're like, that was the best decision I ever made. I would have been a person who looked back and said, I regret that decision. This is, I made a decision that was just reactionary based on my own panic at the time and not good for like long-term me. I also tried to quit the book like four times. Like it was just a weird time for me, Steve. It was a weird time. <laughs> you, had, you, had, you had a sympathetic publisher who let you blow past deadlines. I sure and, did. And I you sure got the book done anyway. I got it done. No so regrets, it all worked yeah. out. It sounds like Doug Ford. Get it done. Here you go. Okay, number two, the messy middle refers yes. to what? Okay, so this is the part of the um, your decision-making process where like you're kind of over it right? And you have to make decisions. So the first part is about making sure you're not reacting, you're calm, you've got good information, you trust it, you're you're not panicking. And the second part is like, okay, figure out what's important, control what you can, make sure you don't, you know, screw yourself long-term financially or time-wise. Is that a technical term? Yeah, you know, it is. I learned it in my undergrad. Um, and then play your cards. So the messy missile is, middle is so messy because you're tired, you're over it, you want it to be done, and now you have to play your hand. And you don't want to because the stakes still feel high, but you've done all your work to make sure that no matter how this plays out, you're going to be okay. So like if you are um, in the middle of a separation, that's a great example of how long it can go on too, right? And there's so much uncertainty, but at some point, push comes to shove, 
and you have to make a decision. So all you can do is make sure you've made the best decision you possibly mm. can. Breaking up is really bad for your finances, isn't it? Yes, it very much is, which is not why I'm still married, but it's <laughs> <laughs> a good motivation. That. Yeah. It's good motivation. No, it is. Um, so again, I see a lot mm. of I see a lot of separation and divorce um, mm -hmm. in my line of work, um, and. Uh, it's not, it's a roller coaster, even in the best of times. Yeah. It's a roller coaster. And financially, it's difficult for everybody. Number three, your new normal. Yes. And so uh, I like my, well, it's actually your next normal or a new normal, next normal. But I, I like the term next normal because it's basically like what your life is going to look like on the other side of this decision that you make, right? So whether it's quitting your job and going back to school, whether it's uh, retiring, whether it's, you know, having a kid, buying a house, whatever it is that's going on in your life your life on your day-to-day -day life, your normal day-to-day -day is gonna look different than it did before. And do you, like, do you like that life that is playing out for you? And if you do like it, then it's easy to look back at these decisions and say, I'm so smart, let me go. <laughs> but if you don't like what your next normal looks like or your new normal, and it, it doesn't suit what you thought, that's when it's really easy to come and make those no regret decisions and you don't want to blame yourself. You have a nice analogy here in the book, which I am going to quote from right now. So Ooh. Sheldon, if you would, uh, board two, let's do that right okay, now. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> During the pandemic, many people use the phrase, quote, we are all in the same storm, but in different boats. Mm. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You need to find your boat. You need to seek support from the people in that boat. Why? Because if your boat is sinking and someone comes by on a yacht, no one on the yacht will understand your situation or the choices you made. The advice the people on the yacht give, alert the skipper, isn't going to help you. The kind of understanding you need only comes from people in your boat. Okay. Play that out in real life terms. Give us yeah. an example of what that means. Yeah, I think it, so it's the chapter on um, how to get yourself out of panic mode and it's called creating a circle of care. And so what that means is often we have support people in our life that we go to for advice, right? We talk things through. And so a real life example of that might be, um, not to harp on the separation or the divorce, but I'm, I'm going to, uh, just because it's so uh, easily such an example of this. Let's say that you and your partner are going through a separation and you're trying to be amico, but it's hard and every single one of your support people is happily married. They are not necessarily in the same boat as you for this decision. Mm -hmm. Not in your life. This, isn't, this doesn't mean you need to like, well, I need a whole group, new group of friends or like my family, I can't trust them. No, no, no. But when you're making decisions around your separation, your divorce, you wanna be talking to other people who have gone through what you're going through or are currently going through what you're going through so you can compare notes, you can be a sounding board for each other and you can have empathy on a level that someone who is not going through what you're going through doesn't understand. And it's really helpful to take yourself out of panic mode because you feel seen, heard, understood. Plus, the type of information that you're getting from people who are in the same situation as you is helpful um, because they maybe did the same research as you, they're talking to the same types of people as you, like they, they've already been through it or they're going through it themselves. So that's what I mean when I say creating that circle of care, finding the people that are in the same situation as you, it doesn't mean forever, but it just means for whatever decision crisis you're facing, it's really helpful when you feel understood and you have a go-to group of people. You have a lot of really uh, challenging examples in the book of different circumstances people find themselves in. And, and I guess one of the hardest was, at least one of the, one of the ones I thought was the hardest, is the is the woman who's the second wife whose husband dies oh, I know. and she has to and she doesn't get on with the first wife and she still uh, you know she's got stepchildren that yes, she, she would does. like to step be grandkids step grandkids yeah. okay so when you talk about finding similar boats 
That's a pretty specific example. Well, I mean, we make that joke, right? Yeah. So it's like starting a starting a support group. What is she called yeah. it something funny? It was like a, it was like went on Facebook to Google like ex ex wives of like stepgrandparents.com or something like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and so she actually one of the things that she ended up finding a support group. Um, and she found it through social media by just like putting it out there and also asking um, some of the people that were in her life. So she was like chatting with the uh, estate lawyer and they're like, oh, this this group, this community group over here and like talking to other people. So when you put it out into the world, like I need to find people who are in the same situation as me. And she put it out there and then they ended up finding it. And she found a few women who were also had step grandkids and the you know, the spouse and the, the partner had died and now they were like feeling like they were intruding because the, the, the you know, it wasn't easy to get access to the grandkids mm-hmm. that they'd been grandparents for for years. And so it was really, really niche. These are all real examples, right? Oh, yeah. They're all, I mean... These are real people. I listened on my iPod and wrote them and cried. And yeah. uh, actually one of the stories in there convinced me not to buy a house in panic mode because I was listening to 2019 version of myself being like, Shannon, listen to your own self when you're not... <laughs> undone. You know what I mean? So yeah, they're all real. Micro goals and micro timelines. Yes. What are those? Yeah. So this is a great way to make sure that you are also not panicking. Um, so again, coming back to that, when your life gets turned upside down or something happens, it can be really overwhelming when you're like, oh, I have to decide this and this. And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? So if you hear yourself, your internal monologue being like, well, what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? It means that you're spiraling a little bit on like, so many possible outcomes with uncertainty. It feels scary, and that can often lead to panic-based decisions to just stop overthinking things, right? Like, we just want it to end. We just are sick of waffling um, on stuff. So if we set micro-timelines and micro-goals, it's like the illusion of control. Hmm. Um, How micro is micro? I have made three-week plans for people, and I actually one time made a four-day plan, um, and that was just to buy time until we had more information. So a lot of a micro plan, especially when it comes to money, like that's how I get dragged into all of these really intense conversations is that at the end of the day, money is a constraint. And so someone might come to me and say like, can I afford to do this or or what's gonna happen to me now? And so when I make a micro timeline for someone, it's like, okay, when do we when do we have more information? So sometimes that's four days from now, sometimes it's four months from now. And it's like, okay, well, let's just control what we can with the information we have now, do the least amount of damage that we can for like put off whatever decisions we can, do the least amount of financial damage, get to where we have more information and then we'll go from there. So mm. often that's really helpful. It takes the problem from this big to this big and it's like, okay, I just need to wait for more information. I just need to get through this time. So it takes us, it gives us that sense of control and the micro goals are just small steps that you can take during that small timeline that kind of move the dial forward so you don't create, you don't exacerbate a situation that's already scary. You know, whenever I'm watching a football game and a coach decides to go for it, if it's an NFL game on fourth down, first thing I always say is, well, what's the worst case scenario here? Yeah. What, what if, 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 you know, everything that could go wrong does go wrong, what is that, how does that inform the decision I'm about to make on whether to gamble on fourth down? Got to be the same thing for financial planning, right? Yes, always. So what's the, what, do you do you take your people through worst case scenarios on yeah. how things work? Oh my gosh, okay. yes. How and do you handle that? Yeah, that's often in the messy, in the messy middle. So mm-hmm. often our worst case scenario, what I'm listening for are the values that are being violated for someone. Like, why is that your worst case scenario? Not my worst case scenario. Like, if I look back to that me moving out of out of my house scenario, like my my values were different than someone else's. So if we're talking about a worst case scenario, 
yes, sometimes it's financial, but also sometimes there's emotional like values that are being violated in that. And then I'll often write them down like, okay, well, you're scared about this becoming the re, your next normal, your reality, because uh, financial security is, you know, um, at risk. So obviously financial security is a, is a value for yours. You won't see your, your you, you know, you don't get access to your kids or you don't see, you see someone here, or this happens to you. And then if we flip those out, then it's actually like, well, these are your core values that are being violated in your worst case scenario. Mm. And you're hoping to be upheld in your best case. And then what I'll do is one step further and say, cool, we all have lots of core values. Of course we do. What's the one you're going to hang your hat on for this decision? So sure, of course, like your family time is a, is a core value and financial security and, 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 and. Mm. But choose one. <laughs> choose one so that even if this doesn't work out, you can look back and say, Mindfully, I went through everything in my worst case scenario, and I realized that for this decision, even though financial security is really important to me, it's secondary to family, or my financial security value is primary in this decision because it's gonna impact my family. So I have to put that as my top line deciding value. So the worst case scenario is used for me to draw out those core values and then prioritize them so that someone can hang their hat on something proudly and look back without regret. I don't know if this is the worst example of the worst case scenario, but it's certainly a tough one from the book. And that is, how do you advise people on, on what decision to make when somebody's got a terminal illness mm-hmm. and they have, to, they have to decide whether they want to spend their entire life savings on whether to try to save that person who might be dead in six months? Yeah, like caregiving, becoming a caregiver. Um, or the person themselves, whether or not they, like it depends if it's the person who actually has has the diagnosis and then also the caregiver. I do a lot of work with caregivers and I think it's one of the the most difficult financial situations um, because the emotional stakes are so high and most people want to, we call it like lighting yourself on financial fire to keep someone warm. Mm. And so that's where those um, pivot points and guardrails, I use this as a tactic to, uh, I talk about this in the book, but those are the key words that I use. And so I'll really define the difference along the way. So it's like a pivot point in their financial life is where, okay, so we're spending money on this situation and a pivot point is when you reach a, a block where other things in your life need to shift. And sometimes, but you still have you still have options. So maybe that's move or sell the house or um, you know retire or go back to work. These kinds of big lifestyle shifts and changes, but not out of we're not out of options. You've we're still just, got options. We're pivoting, right? So we'll map those out. Okay, so how much can I spend until I have to get a job? How much can I spend past that until I need to sell the house? How much? So again, we're just mapping it out. I'm not. I'm not making the decision for them. I'm just mapping out the reality. And then we'll put in a guardrail, which is like, we've pivoted as far as we can. And that we're out of time or money because these are our constraints in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we've hit the rail. And so that rail is in place to make sure that you don't look back and say, I regret everything that I did because now I'm destitute. So we're, and they set that with me. So at the start, we map out the pivot points, what they're willing to do, what they're not willing to do. And then we set a time and money guardrail to say how long are you going to go and how much are you going to spend until you're, it's complete devastation, right? How many people blow past the guardrails? Uh, pivot points all the time, guardrails, um, it depends. I Obviously it happens sometimes and then I say, well, that was a pivot point, wasn't it? <laughs> right? Just change the That's right. definition. We changed the definition. Yeah. So you thought this was your ideal <laughs> guardrail, it wasn't a real one. It was just a pivot point with a pivot that you really didn't want to make. So a lot of people see the selling of the house as that guardrail. Mm. And then when push comes to shove, 
It's just a pivot point. Right. Uh, a question now more, I guess, about coaching as opposed to financial planning. But when people get into one of those situations where they've made a decision and it hasn't worked out, and it's not a no-regret decision, and it turns out it's a bad decision, <laughs> and and down the road you realize you actually have a lot of regrets about that. Yeah. How, how do you kind of coach people back to... Uh, like a, an emotionally healthy place to yeah, be. Yeah, a place of confidence. Yeah. Um, I think, because that's what's at stake, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I regret the takeout order last week, that's not going to impact my decisions Correct. going forward. But if I if I think that I've made horrible life decisions, you know, that's, that's, this, that's really scary. Sometimes you don't get those back. Right. And so we're talking about that level of confidence, shaking confidence. And so I would ask them, well, normally what I do is I'll say like, okay, you know, what's the proof here? Do you always make bad decisions? Because often I know that this has happened to someone when I hear the way they talk about themselves, right? I, it's immediate. I am bad with money. I, I make bad decisions. Like, I don't want to screw this up. Like, there's all kinds of, there's that technical term again. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of words that people use with self-negative talk about themselves. And I'm like, okay, like, what happened? Why do you feel like this about yourself? And often what I'll do is say, like, okay, do you realize the impact of that that view of yourself that you can't make, you can't trust yourself to make good decisions. And what's that, what's the impact of that having on you going forward? Not the past, like going forward. Sometimes even just naming that, putting a finger on that is like, oh, I didn't realize that that's like coloring everything about my life. And then when we look back to whatever thread, I often like, I'm like, what thread are we tugging at here? You know, like this decision that then led to all of these outcomes that you don't like about your current life. And we'll hone it back to whatever that, that thread of that story is and say like, okay, well at the time, I'm sure there was a reason you made that decision. Even if you regret it, what was the reason? And we'll really talk about it. You're really drilling down here. You gotta get to the nub of the thing. What is that decision that you made that you blame yourself for that has now led to a next normal that you despise? Mm. You don't like your life. So what is it? And then we'll list out why they made that decision at the time. And even if it was a panic-based decision, I'm like, hey, you were scared. Great. People make scared decisions all the time. Or they were reacting to something or they were angry at someone. Like, cool, you're human. Congratulations. (laughs) And it's like when you kind of look at it that way and we list the reason and they can forgive themselves for it a little bit and it makes it a little bit easier to say, okay, well, I was really angry at the time. And then the, the big lesson is like, well, that was then and this is now. And now you know to watch out for that and you're not gonna do it again. Has this process helped you in your own life decisions? Yes. Absolutely. This book is a love letter. <laughs> I, I, this is my third book, and I love all of my books. But this one is the most I'm most emotionally connected to because I wrote it during my own weird time during COVID with, the, with a baby and a toddler um, during the first lockdowns. And so it was a weird time for everybody. And I was listening to these stories from my clients from before, in the before times, um, and writing it. So it almost felt like a diary. And I, like I said, ch- chapter seven actually stopped me from buying a house and moving out of my home, uh, <laughs> listening to myself. So there's that. And I also feel like when I wanted to write this book before the pandemic started, like it is just dumb luck that things are so uncertain right now. I wanted to write this book back in like 2019 because of all of the decisions people make in my office and like the trend I see around that regret really eating into confidence. And I feel like laying it out in a playbook like this book has helped me even in my own life when I'm talking to my friends, when I'm talking to my family, when I'm talking to my husband around making decisions, we have, sometimes we joke, it's like, order pizza, no regret decision. And then other times it's like, pull your kid out of daycare, like pull you do this. Like, like it's like big, those big conversations are like, are you gonna leave your job? Are we gonna do this? And it's like, what's our no regret decision? And then we really now 
poor Matt, he's very well versed in his deciding values. <laughs> <laughs> poor Matt is your husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah. How many years? Uh, well, we've been together for 17, but we've been married for nine. Good for you. Yeah. Well, you know our no regret decision? Having you on this show. Oh, that's so Always, kind. always. You're always a delight. No Regret Decisions is Shannon Lee Simmons' latest, making good choices during difficult times, and we're delighted that it's brought her back to TVO for tonight's program. Thanks so much, SLS. Thank you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.